Well, we could talk about Return of the Archons. We could talk about Return of the Archons. How did you feel about Return of the Archons? I liked almost all of it. A lot. Okay, so what parts did you like and and what parts did you not like? Everything that was not the end I liked, and what I didn't like was the end. Okay, see, here's the thing about the end of Return (laughs) of the Archons. I really hope that you didn't hate it as much as you sound like you did, because that's a thing that happens... No, it's, 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 I get what they were doing with it and it's fine. And I, you know, but it's, it's, it, it was just so half acidly done compared to the rest of the episode. Kirk destroying computers uh, with the power of his logic is something that happens a lot in Star Trek. And you either go with it or you don't. See, I have to say, like, when he's like, I'm going to use logic to defeat you, computer, I'm like, fuck yes. Because I love when they, you know, uh, a- anything that can possibly, you know, have a computer saying error, error, why was I programmed to feel pain does not compute is wonderful to me. But he didn't so much use logic as just yell at it till it's self-destructed. Yeah, what did he keep saying? He's like, you are the evil. And it's yeah. just like, oh, I guess if the loud man says it. <laughs> now, here's my question, though. So he's going to use logic to defeat this computer uh-huh. with Spock standing right next to him. He doesn't say like, okay, Spock, this is like what you were born to do. Well, You were born to out logic than outthink this machine. Go. Like, you are the, yeah. Well, that's the weird thing about this episode, right? Is that Spock doesn't seem like Spock for a lot of it. No. He doesn't really do a whole lot, and he doesn't really say a whole lot, and he just kind of stands around. And at one point, he seems like he's sleeping with his eyes open, like he's a teenager who smoked too much pot. Like, I'm not really sure what is going on with Spock in this episode. Well. And it could just be that they hadn't figured out his character quite yet. Because, you know, they were still not that far into the series, and who knows what the hell they were thinking. I but... don't know, because the entire time they've said logic, 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 Spock is logic, Spock likes logic, Spock does logic, here's logic, Spock. Okay, Kirk's going to do the logic battle. Again, like, they, they'd established at least that part of it. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, he was there, too, right? Yes, he was... he was standing right in front of him, and he, he gives, like, a he basically says to Kirk, okay, the way you're going to, you know... He has, you know, this computer has its prime directive, you know, that's how you're going to beat it. Which we'll get to in a few minutes. Yes. Uh, so he, sp- he very specifically said, you know, he's the one who essentially says to Kirk, okay, there's a logic battle time, you know, go nuts, Mr. Captain. I mean, I, I guess it was for no other reason than, sp- you know, Kirk's the captain. Well, yeah, I was about to say, let me posit this to you. So I, I, I think the reason is that simple, right? Is that uh, William Shatner was the biggest star of the series and... You know, you're going to give your big star uh, and the captain the winning score. Yeah. And, you know, he definitely is able to do it much more dramatically than, you know, Spock could have. Yeah. I mean, Spock would just stand there um, with his raised eyebrow and his hands behind his back Mm. uh, saying things like, please kill yourself, computer, blah, blah, blah. And, Mm. you know, it would do it. So that would not have been that satisfying, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, so much more efficient. I mean, this is a military operation. I don't want them like wasting time and money and resources just to you know for the sake of drama i want them to use the most efficient and quickest methods possible so they should have just phasered the hell out of the planet from orbit that's pretty much what i think foreign policy in the age of aliens should be remember you said that when we get to a second season episode oh boy i will not say which one Mm. uh yeah i mean the thing about the return of the archons is that 
it's never clearly established why they're there. Uh, they, they, they say something about, you know, uh, and the whole episode title as well, I don't think makes a whole lot of sense. I actually looked it up. Okay. So apparent, and I missed, I completely missed this because it's apparently dealt with in the first like 30 seconds of the episode. So there was this ship called the Archon. Right. It was a Federation ship that was lost X number of years ago. So they're finding it. So therefore, um, Archon is, I guess, what they've called, you know, people who come from outside. Right. See, that's yeah. that's what I that's what I thought yeah. it was. Uh, well, that's what I knew it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they don't ever really like they don't find out what happened to the Archons. And the thing about the Obviously episode is that I absorbed. I kind of feel like um, the the episode would have been more interesting if it had dealt with that instead of what it had actually dealt with. Uh, because it kind of comes across as like the Twilight Zone light. Do you know what I mean? I get what you mean. To me, it was very Lovecraftian almost because you have this town with a dark secret and all these people acting creepy. And I have to say, this was a really creepy episode. I like Star Trek when it's disturbing and this was. Oh, it absolutely and was. And I can – like there's this one scene that – there's a scene towards the beginning. They're like, oh, festival's going to – and anytime you hear festival in town, you run the fuck away at this point. Like – you know, my parents went to like a strawberry festival in Pennsylvania, and I was fearing for their lives. <laughs> but um, they, yeah, uh, they so they're like, okay, festival's beginning, and the people just fucking go insane. They're attacking, they're making out, which you know symbolizes there's a fucking orgy in the streets yeah. at this point. They just these people become id. The Star Trek compendium even uses the word orgy. So yeah, yeah. and that scene was very disturbingly done. There's a scene where. All these people are compelled by the computer to attack, and they're kind of like – so they're phasering basically stunning – phaser-stunning women who are attacking. Like that I found shocking, and I – it's one of those – this is 2012. I can imagine in 67, 68 or whatever year this was how this would have played. It's really disturbing. I mean the the the, the first like 15 to 20 minutes of the episode I think are, are, are the, the most well done because yeah. they're thrown into this situation. I mean immediately, right, from the, the yeah. cold open with Sulu and, and, and the red shirt who, who gets uh, killed or whatever happens to him. Um, you know, they, they rescue Sulu. You know, he's being surrounded by these people and you don't know what's going on. He gets beamed up to the ship, but suddenly he's – basically had a lobotomy like yeah. he's just like everything's fine you know i love you um they've slipped an e Joy i don't know what's happening contentment be with you <laughs> let's go to by the way they have to use a chamber to convert people later but Sulu they can do on the go why don't they just do the on the go model well that was a weird everybody? yeah, that, yeah. Was a, that was a weird thing right because they they hit him with that that stick and then he turns into the the zombie yeah. um and then later on you know spock is examining one of them and he just says it's a hollow tube there's no mechanism you're like oh okay uh that's weird um but yeah, and then they, they, they all beam down to the planet, uh, you know, in period costume, the way that yeah. uh, all of the inhabitants of this planet are dressed, um, which I thought was, a, you know, a really uh, nice touch to add to the episode. Uh, also, Shatner looked really good in that suit. Right. Um, <laughs> so they go to great lengths to blend in to the native population. Yeah. However, they also materialize out of thin air uh, in the middle of a very crowded street yeah so there's that that uh, was not thought out very well you know it's i have to say the like i said it seemed very lovecrafty and it was creepy as hell i thought it would be a comedy episode because the netflix uh like preview picture was you know spock in the suit and 
and sorry, Spock with this like hood over his head. It looked like he's wearing a dress. I'm like, oh, they're gonna find an excuse for Spock to wear a dress. Ho ho ho! <laughs> and it was not at all the episode I expected it to be. But well, it's funny yeah. because I think um, you know we talk a lot about um, Star Trek having stakes, yes. and uh, I think this episode definitely has them because you know. It, it, it's it's really I'm finding um, you know watching uh, the original series again how economical they are with their storytelling even though they have uh, you know nine ten minutes of extra time uh, that that shows don't have anymore and and, yeah. and you know television shows have to be even more economical now with their storytelling um, you know yes there are, there have been a handful of episodes where we've said okay this this had a lot of padding but on the whole i i haven't found them to to have that much padding i mean just a couple episodes here and there and you know they they kind of dispatch with the idea that they're going to be rescued by the enterprise very quickly i mean yeah. the the enterprise does not factor into the story really at all which i think is really interesting and you know okay they're being attacked on the surface they had to raise their shields. Their shields are being drained. Their orbit is decaying, which is something we've seen before. So we know it's a bad thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, even if you don't know anything about space, you can think, you know, okay, a ship, their orbit decaying, that's not going to be good. Um, so basically at that point, after that, you know, one minute, two minute scene where, where Scotty is like, yep, we're screwed. Um, we can't do anything. Uh, that They're out. The Enterprise is done for the rest of the episode, basically. And, you know that the landing party is on their own. Yeah, they also make a point of saying like we can't re- we can't teleport anyone in or out because uh you know the second we lower the shields this heat ray or whatever is going to destroy us. So landing party is on their own and if the landing party doesn't act quickly enough the entire enterprise will be destroyed. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think that's an interesting um you know interesting way to do that. And the other thing too about the episode is the danger is at the Enterprise, but it's very abstracted because we don't spend any time there, really. Yeah. So we kind of know they're in danger, but we don't really care that much um, just because we don't see it. We don't, we don't know what's going on. Um, you can definitely see another lesser episode where it would all take place on the Enterprise and they would have to figure out a way to stop these heat beams, which would not have been interesting. Yeah. But by setting it up on the planet, you know, the 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 festival scene, as you said, you know, it lasts for 12 hours and it's just like pandemonium for the entire 12 hours and it's really well shot because they they shoot it in these long takes um so you see the entirety of this great set mm-hmm. this this like yeah. outdoor room basically which is just like a town street with a uh like a a, a a clock at the end of it so you know exactly what time it is um and it's just like out of nowhere just like everyone's walking down the street the clock strikes six o'clock and as soon as it starts striking six, yeah. just people go nuts and they just like start freaking out, breaking windows, like raping people in the streets, um, you know, setting things on fire. Yeah. Like it's all kind of crazy shit. And then they're running inside. The landing party is running inside and they're being hid by people who it later turns out as some sort of underground resistance. Uh, and then in the morning at six o'clock in the morning, just as quickly as it started, the clock strikes six again, a very strange clock that only strikes the hour at six yeah. and six. Uh, they just stop. Yeah. They and, just all stop. And just kind of walk. And they're walking around this devastation like not, like it's just a normal day. Not even like not even like it's just a normal day, but like they don't even notice it. Yeah. Like, and I think that's the more that's the more disturbing part of it, that they don't notice what is going on. Um 
And I think it's really interesting because, you know, later on when we find out that the entire planet is being controlled by a computer, yeah. uh, it makes sense. It, this is kind of like, it's binary. It's either on or it's off. Yeah. And that's it. See, there, you know, there was a lot in this episode that's not explained and exactly what happened to the Argon, Archons, um, what festival is, what's with these hollow tubes, how did the, you know... A lot it's not explained, but I thought that did make it creepier in a way. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, if somebody had said, well, you know, festival is done for the... It's just, what the fuck? This is such a damaged and destroyed society that this just happens and nobody notices. And you can fill in your own explanation. Yeah. I mean, I've always thought that... Uh, you know, the whole thing about the episode is that you've got this um, computer who's based on this man called Landrew, yeah. um, which has been around for 6,000 years, and... Uh, basically, he sets it up so this sort of quote unquote perfect society where everyone is happy, everyone is content. You know, they all come around saying peace and contentment to you yeah. and all that stuff. Um, and my whole thinking about festival was that yes, that 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 is true. But humans have these baser instincts in them that do need to be um, exercised in some way. Yeah. And so festival is a is a computer's reaction to that, which completely makes sense. I think. Yeah, I think in a way it's saying, okay, right, we're gonna you know. At this point, the people are exclusively super ego because they have this computer controlling them. So when that's relaxed during festival, they become exclusively id, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it has this skewed idea. Well, this is what they enjoy. You know, Bakhtinian Carnival, you can let loose, you know. And it's never really even explained about, you know, what happens to someone when they do get uh, turned into this sort of like lobotomized content person. Because um, at the very end of the episode, when when Kirk uh, logics the computer into smoking and destroying itself, um, not smoking cigarettes and getting uh, lung cancer, because that would take a lot much longer than the episode has. Yeah. um, There's this throwaway line that, you know, Scotty says, oh, Sewell is fine now. Yeah. The implication is that if there's nothing beaming into them, then, you know. But that kind of makes it, I think that makes it creepier because that kind of implies that their personality is there, but it's just subsumed and maybe they're watching their, their, you know, the computer control them. And so, you know, how horrible would festival be if your personality, you're, you're watching yourself do these horrible things and you can't do anything to stop it. Yeah. That's crazy. That's true. It depends on how rational one is. Okay. Say this episode, uh, this episode reminds me of a lot of things. And I mean, any evil computer controlling, you know, the world, you know, this reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever heard of the RPG Paranoia. Vaguely. Yeah. uh, It reminds me a lot of that. Um, It reminds me a lot, in a way, this is, uh, this reminds me of Star Trek Visits the End of a Wrinkle in Time. (laughs) Yeah. Because the end of the wrinkle in time is basically this. And that's actually part of why I disliked the uh, ending of that. Because in a wrinkle in time, you know, they're in this weird communism city. And of course, this is the anti-communism episode, you know. But it's controlled by this gigantic brain and... What instead of out logicing the computer, they in a way out emotion it uh, in Wrinkle in Time. Um, an expression of unadorned and pure love is what you know this fine you know it is. It's called finds impossible to understand and comprehend, and that's what ends up destroying it. In this, it's pure logic. There, you know, and again, it just seemed like he was just shouting it until it you know killed itself out of boredom, you know, or whatever out of you know, 
not wanting to hear Shatner yell anymore. But, you know, so I, I guess it felt ineffective in that sense because I'd seen that same exact thing done better. I can I can see that. Yeah. And and yeah, I, I do agree with you that the ending of the episode is kind of its weakest point. Um you know, because it just kind of stops. Like, there's never really any resolution to it. It just sort of goes away. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it's an ending. Uh, is it a best? Is it a, the best one they could have come up with? I don't know. I mean, I guess, because this is the one that they filmed. But, yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. Um, I, I think there's, you know, some interesting things here as well, uh, especially when McCoy gets knocked out of the picture, right? Yeah. Because that really, I think... Um, is kind of like a holy shit moment for this episode because yeah. yes, okay, of course you know McCoy is not going to not get out of this state by the end of the episode, yeah, yeah. but the very fact that they did this to like a main character and not a random red shirt for the episode as they did you know at the very beginning of the episode, um, you know Sulu who has been in quite a few episodes and and McCoy who has you know been in pretty much every episode at this point, they both are out of the picture and it's like wow okay. Uh, so when they take away, uh, when they take Kirk away to turn him, that's like a really scary moment for the audience because yeah. you actually think that he's going to be turned at this point because they've done it to two other main characters. Yeah. And he, it turns out he's just pretending. And I love the part, by the way, when Spock is pretending, you know, that he's been, you know, zapped because he's like, oh, yes, peace and contentment. <laughs> and he just gives this look as he's walking away like... You know, he's Spock does the closest to amusedly rolling his eyes that he can because yeah. I think even he knows what a crappy actor he is. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Spock just realizes I really can't do it. They bought it. I like, can't pull this off. Okay, well, they're really that dumb. <laughs> but I guess for you know Spock acting for a computer is pretty much his yeah. perfect role. That's right? true. I mean, if huh. he yeah, if he's acting like a computer that kind of perfect for him yeah because that's how he always gets that's what he always gets criticized for yeah so yeah in that sense yeah and it does in and at the end of the episode wasn't it doesn't uh was it in this one or in another one where um kirk says to spock you know oh you'd make a great computer and you know spock is touched by that yeah it's this episode yeah at the very end and he's you know thank you you know that's that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me you know he's he would we you know he would tear up if he could you know yeah, this episode has a lot of nice character moments like that. And again, yeah. as well, I think, you know, not to not to put too fine a point on things and to kind of, you know, uh, put things into the ground, but um, is that, again, we get a really good example of the Kirk and Spock friendship. Yes. You know, because there's that very end moment that you just mentioned where Spock is, you know, walking away pretending that his mind has just been erased. And, you know, Kirk knows yeah. That he, you know, they, they know they're okay. They yeah. know they're okay without even having to really say anything to each other. Um, they just kind of trade these looks and they know. And it, I think it's, you know, it's really nice. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I just like it. <laughs> I love that scene. They're like, because McCoy keeps poking his head in. They're like, oh, and they're like, oh, peace and contentment. Yes, peace and contentment. And he ducks back and they're like, okay, what do we do? Peace and contentment. Yeah, that was almost like a farce. Like, that was yeah. from a completely different episode. <laughs> like, I felt like I was watching, you know, Faulty Towers or something <laughs> at that point. Um, what what did you think about the uh, kind of the subplot of the resistance? Like what? Uh, it was poorly explained. I yeah. Yet how? What, what do they mean? It's always in threes. And was my and I, it just seemed that felt undeveloped. Again, was this based on a story or something? Because this feels like there was more to. I mean, 
I felt like there was more backstory in there than they put in the episode. I mean, maybe. I, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, at least not from the Star Trek compendium. I don't believe, you know, they usually get uh, pretty good information. Yeah, and yeah, I don't yeah. remember anything like that. So, mm. no, I don't think so. Because this sets up a situation that I'd like to know more about. I mean, even though, like I said, not explaining everything made it creepier. Um, they could have, you know, it's funny because I, I think that they could have more explicitly tied the two elements of this episode that were the, the least explained uh, the USS Archon and the resistance, yeah. you know, very easily explained. Everything was going fine on this planet until the USS Archon crash landed, which made some people realize that they were being controlled or they weren't in charge or, or whatever, you know, you want to yeah. have it be. And that started the resistance. And that makes complete sense. Oh, another thing, like, yeah, one of them mentions, oh, well, other got resistance guy is immune to the beam. How? Why? Yeah. Why are some people immune to it? I mean, and doesn't Landrew know these things? They keep talking about how Landrew's all seeing, you know, and all of that, and he doesn't seem to realize that, you know, don't you know, people who are of the body don't seem to recognize, you know, seem to be easily fooled. You know, you would think that they would immediately realize. I mean, there's almost an invasion of the body snatchers thing kind of going on there. You would think they'd smell their own. Yeah, and and it, you know this may just be the um, the result of a, of a lower budget because you know the, there are there is a, a line in the episode where they talk about you know millions of humans uh, on this planet who yeah. are now free, uh, and we don't see millions of humans. We don't even see thirty humans, so we don't know the extent of the body, right? We don't yeah. know how many of them there are, and it, you just maybe just supposed to fill in the gaps and think, oh, there's you know. Uh, thousands of them patrolling at all times or something like that. Yeah, I mean, you they say they've come from another village or whatever, and people are like, okay. From you the know, valley. The valley, the valley. Um, They've come from the valley. They don't know our ways, you know, mm, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, they they know that, the, obviously, the people in the town know that elsewhere exists. You know, they don't think they're the only town in the entire world. They don't think that, you know, they know that there is a world outside. Oh, yeah. Because if they didn't realize that they would freak the fuck out. Um, of course, you know, out of all the villages, they happen to pick the one that has Landrew in it, you know? <laughs> well, I, I, I think the explanation is, yeah, I think that Landrew was supposed to be wherever humans live on this planet. Landrew was there. Yeah. And the, I, you, you could even tell that they didn't really buy the story that they were from the Valley. Cause you know, they didn't even say that they were from the Valley. Someone said it and then they're like, yeah. Oh yeah, that's where we're from. Yep. Well, Landrew, we don't have Landrew in the Valley. Uh, I don't know guys. Yeah. It was that kind of thing. Yeah. It was all very sort of like loose. Um, okay. So the one, you know, there is a star, a star Trek one Oh one time. Uh, we've got our first mention of the prime directive. Uh, which I don't know if you know anything about the Prime Directive. I feel like there. this is the second mention of Prime Directive. When was the first one? Tomorrow is yesterday. Mm, I don't remember they, that. They talk about how they can't affect the past according to the Prime Directive. Is that, do they really say that? I, I'm... Fairly sure they do. I don't think they say Prime Directive in that episode. I, I would have. I would have picked up. I mean, on because, because I know what the Prime Directive is because I'm an American. But you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think they say Prime Directive. Okay. I think they say they can't affect the past because they don't know affect their future. Fair. Okay. Yeah, I think that's why they say it because I would have picked up on Prime Directive. Okay. I mean, maybe they did. I'm not saying anyway. they didn't. But uh, anyway, we know we definitely have a, a mention of the Prime Directive in this yes. episode. Um, again, it's one of those things. If you don't know. Like the last forty six years of Star Trek uh 
you won't know what the prime directive is. You don't know what the you don't know what things are mentioning are going to be important and what are not. Yeah. Right. So because they've said all sorts of things in the past that aren't important. So yeah. Um. No, the prime directive is definitely one of those Star Trek things that, you know, it starts here, gets mentioned, um, and it becomes sort of one of the cornerstones of the entire franchise. It's like rule number one for the Federation for Starfleet. Um, they they cannot interfere with any other cultures. You know, things get added onto it as time goes on. Yeah. And you'll you'll see that. Um but yeah, it's just it's one of the I just want to mention it again just to, yeah. to watch out for that in the future because it is one of those things that, you know, I think as things come up that are important, that I know are important, I'm gonna mention them because I think it's important for you to watch out for them. Yeah, I mean to me it seemed like one of those if the species hasn't made its first contact, you don't make it for them. It, you know, if they haven't reached a certain technology level, you don't help them out. You know, once they get to Whatever they've considered the, you know, whatever Starfleet has considered the event horizon, then, okay, yeah, you can visit openly, you know, once you've established contact. And um, I will say, I mean, you know, this is kind of like inside baseball, so it doesn't, it's like a rules, it doesn't really matter, it's not story-based, but um, later on they established that that baseline is warp. Okay. So if a civilization has warp technology, then you can make contact with them. Okay. But before that, no, you can't. Okay. Um, and the whole idea is not to interfere, not to sort of engineer a different path for a society or a civilization than they would take otherwise. But once they have warp technology and they can go into space, all bets are off. And it's the Federation kind of, you know, the Federation is sort of like, and this gets much later on in, in the franchise, this gets, you know, put, um, developed a lot more. But the Federation is sort of like your dad and your dad knows best. And, you know, once you start going out into space and, you know, the big bad Romulans and the Klingons and all these people can, you know, try and be friends with you and turn you against us. We're going to watch out for you. We know what's best for you. So okay. they kind of like there's many episodes later on where they sort of like beam down to a planet that just develop warp technology and. So toward the end, they don't even wait for them to like launch a ship. They're just like, oh, they got warp. Okay, let's let's yeah. go down there and be like, hey, Federation guys, we're friendly. Join us. We'll give you stuff. And there's no ulterior motive, really. I mean, this is not a you know Star Wars Empire sort of thing. No, no, it's just they believe that they're right, and from what we've seen, they probably are. Yeah, I think this the series is very the series values are. 100% in line with whatever Starfleet's values are. It doesn't question those uh, values at all, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. No, totally. Um, and yeah, and in this, you know, it's it's funny that they mentioned it only to immediately explicitly violate it. I mean, Spock says, what about the Prime Directive? And Kirk says, uh, this is... This is too much for that. You know, it basically... Well, what he, they, what, yeah. what he says is... Um, that only applies to a living, growing yeah. society. Does this society look like it's living and growing to you? Yeah. You um, know, which is sort of like a hand wavy, like I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to justify it however I want to justify it, which is something that Kirk is known for, of course. Yeah. But yeah. At the same time, it is fairly clear that this society is going to run indefinitely like this without any growth or change. So it never is going to develop war. Right, exactly. They never would. Um, yeah. And there was that one instance in the episode where um, one of the one of the resistance people, you know, pulls out a light. Uh, they call it a light panel, I yeah. think. And then Spock is like, "Whoa, that's like really advanced technology. They don't. They shouldn't have this." Yeah. Um, you know. So that that definitely is there. So um, no, go ahead. So now, um, so these are humans, right? Yes. Um, so what is the and something about six thousand years? Mm-hmm. 
So how are humans scattered across the universe? Not really supposed to think about it. It's not like that's, you know, that's just one of those things they didn't really think about that well. Okay. So they're either humans or like humans in every single way. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Much later on, there's um, the the concept of like proto-Vulcan societies, like different Vulcan like they're all sort of Vulcans but there's a very there's a very famous episode of the next generation about that um that takes place on a proto-Vulcan planet you know it just sort of yeah it's it's limitations of budget and limitations of 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 imagination they don't really care you know yeah exactly they they could have called them something else but they just didn't okay um, they, they, they may be 97% human, so they just round them up or whatever. Yeah. I guess it's easier to hire human actors than to make suits for everybody, you know? Right. Exactly. And yeah. Uh, one final thing is just to me, this is again, harping on this theme of you can't create your own society based on your own image. You have this Landry character who decides how he's going to fix, you know, society and he creates this world that's based on this and this computer that runs this and it's fucked up yeah again y- y- the the uh, the individual will is bad yeah no I, yeah, yeah i think that's uh, right if you try and create your own society it's a bad thing yeah and that's again, something you know we, we've seen that a lot before i mean i don't even know if it's worth pointing it out anymore because that kind of is the theme of 90 percent of the episode so far no absolutely i agree with you yeah. and uh which is a little disturbing to me why because i don't think that the the show comes a little more against individualism than I think I like it to. I mean, it's a little schizophrenic in that way, in that this is a collectivist society. This is, like I said, you know, this is communism sucks the episode. Uh, and you have, you know, Kirk, who's is very much the I'm gonna I'm gonna decide what's best for everybody. But it almost seems like. You know, you, there there is the one right, and everything else that doesn't adhere to that is wrong. Again, the show's values are very much in line with Starfleet's values. We haven't seen anything bad about Starfleet. They're unambiguously good. Well, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I mean, they did try and railroad Kirk and, and you know, court-martial. That being said, all the evidence was against Kirk. True, they were, but— What they were figuring was that Kirk had gone rogue, essentially. Yeah, I, I can kind of see that, but I, I think, you know, in, in, in terms, there's evidence and then there's evidence, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the Commodore in that episode basically was saying, Kirk, you know, resign. Um, it'll make Starfleet look bad. Yeah. That's not the actions of a 100% good agency, I wouldn't mm-hmm. say. At the same time, they were giving some, he was giving somebody that he thought was guilty of sin the opportunity to quietly go away without based on his you know basically saying you know look this is the worst thing you've ever done and probably the only bad thing you've ever done i'm not going to let this ruin an entire career of doing good so i don't know i don't i don't necessarily see that read on it because i just always got the impression that the guy just didn't like kirk and finally was happy that he got something to hang him on oh yeah i mean that's that's definitely there but both interpretations might be correct fair enough all right so you can hate somebody and you know still want them to be you know, still not want their reputation tarnished. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, you know, I, I think that's, you know, I think that's accurate, but, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll be curious to see what you think about that in the future, because, you know, there definitely is that strain of, um, Star Trek fandom that sort of, 
you know, th- basically the Federation is some sort of like proto-communist utopia in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe not so much in the original series, but later later on it definitely becomes that. So, you know, we haven't really seen a whole lot about how the society functions yet. Um, and, you know, in a lot of ways it probably wouldn't really ever function. I mean, it's it's Fair. definitely a... Uh, it, it, it's a very personal, it's like Roddenberry's take on idealism basically yeah. and an ideal society. And, you know, in that respect, it's interesting to look at. Is it realistic? I don't know. No, but of course, given the time, they didn't need it to be realistic. Right. Uh, all right. So, so what, uh, what would you give uh, return of the archons? This is a solid seven triple episode. All right. I, it was scary. It was creepy. It was really interesting. The ending just kind of happened okay a stronger ending would have pushed this over i'll give it a six okay yeah okay so let's move on to space seed yes which is one of the episode whose titles i know and why did you know that because i've seen wrath of khan ah yes yeah yes you have so you know the you know the outcome of this episode but yeah but just put that out of your mind and just well you know. i have to say it was interesting seeing the where this came from because i didn't i didn't know anything about who khan was when i saw wrath of khan and so the, it's interesting seeing where that came from and seeing, yeah, uh, seeing it backwards in a way. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's interesting. Well, no, I think, you know, that, that talk on that more. I think that could be an interesting thing to, you know, to hear because I don't know that many people have ever seen it that way. Well, in a dramatic irony kind of sense, I know exactly what's going to happen eventually. This is a seriously bad guy that they're, you know, resurrecting and... A lot of the episode is this mystery of who was this guy, you know, and wh- why is he here and why are they? And I know exactly why. And it's almost it makes the threat a little more dangerous in a way. Yeah. Well, that's that's one of the things that I like most about this episode. Um, and I don't know. I'm, I don't want to speak for you, but I think we can both agree that this is a, it's a good episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things I like the most about this episode is that it the the threat that Khan represents comes about very slowly. Oh yeah. Like it's built up for like 30 35 minutes. And then when he reveals himself to be a threat, he takes over the ship in about 3 minutes. Yeah, he's I mean it's it's masterfully plotted. It's really well done. I he, mean you just you get this like really 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 like who is this guy? I don't know. Like you know, well, he's maybe a little creepy. I don't know. Oh yeah, you know he's kind of okay. He's doing. Oh, what's that? Oh, oh, he took over the ship. Like it's just yeah. done like that, which gives you a very interesting insight into Khan's character because he is very much the type of he is going. He is other than this the the moment at the beginning when McCoy, you know, when he he when he wakes up and he's kind of attacks McCoy and you know, he's like, oh, who, where am I? What's the shit? You know. That's the only moment he's explicitly threatening. The rest, he's just cryptic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's the type of person who realizes, okay, there's no threat to me here. They're going to give me the, you know, more information than I need. Um, he kind of just bides his time and waits for his moment. And when he sees its moment, he doesn't hesitate. You know, he's preparing, 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 and then he strikes. And that that makes him, in a way, more of a threat because he's not going to just a lot of the other villains we've seen have either been like monsters or just impulsive or bad ideas or, you know, but Khan waits, Khan plans. Khan is 
you know, obviously he's hyper intelligent, you know, he's. Well, that's I mean, I think that hits on something really interesting about about this episode. Right. Is that. Yeah. Like you said, most of the other uh, of the other episodes so far we've seen that have, you know, sort of a central villain character. Um, you know, whether it be the man trap or the Corbinite maneuver or, you know, who isn't really a villain, but, you know, for yeah, most of, of it, it is, um, you know, balance of terror, uh, conscience of the king, all these episodes, um, they center around someone who is evil, right? And they may not know it at first or they may know it at first. Uh, but at the end of it, Kirk, Kirk, Spock and crew have out chest the evil guy, um, they can't out chess con and I think they kind of know it. Yeah. And the only reason that they succeed is that, uh, uh the historian sees, yeah. sees what Khan is doing to the crew of the enterprise, basically killing them. Yeah. And decides to, oh, to not go, killing torture. Yes. Torturing it's worse than killing. torturing and then killing. Yeah. Um, you know, because because it's set up so that she realizes what they're what Khan is actually like and what what he's doing to the crew, and then just by accident basically stops. And so the only reason why uh, the only reason why Khan doesn't succeed in commandeering the Enterprise and then going on to you know take over a planet, uh, as McCoy chillingly says, you know, yeah, it'd be really easy for Khan to to take over an entire planet with a starship. Yeah. Um, it's an accident that he doesn't do that. Yeah, it's a series of luck in a way because basically how they finally subdue Khan is he, uh, Kirk and Khan are fighting and Kirk is doing his best and he just kind of like finds like a lever that he can use as a weapon and, you know, if he hadn't had happened to find that and just surprise him, which Khan did not expect that to be a weaponable yeah, Khan would have won that fight. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, at that point they have, you know, two armed guards with phasers who are ready to kill him the second that, you know, he makes a move. Absolutely. So that's the only, you know, it's it's dumb luck. It's this historian developing compassion. It's it's all of these factors. But, I mean, the, while Kirk can't out-chess him, they can match him. That dinner scene, there's a scene when, they, when they're at dinner and... They're trying to figure out who, you know, Khan really is. And Khan immediately realizes what they're trying to, what, you know, Kirk's trying to do. And he has yeah, there's, this. There's that great line where he basically, you know, Spock is asking him a series. Spock is asking Khan a series of questions. And, you know, Khan is sort of cryptically answering them and not answering them at the same time. Yeah. And then he, he basically turns to Kirk and says, ah, very good. You're, you're having your second in command. Do you do your dirty work? So you don't realize yeah. how, you know, so I don't realize how smart you are, basically, is what the implication of what he says there. Yeah. And then he has this line where he's like, look, you know, some, uh, it's, who who is it that says like oh this is a dinner party not like a battle and he says like you know some people feel that like you know conversation is is the same as warfare it's just you know I prefer it more open yeah and at that point Kirk's like okay gloves are off you know who who are you and you know he almost he just keeps going until Khan finally says like well we meaning you know the superhumans and you know he immediately realizes his mistake he's like oh. Good job, you won. You, you got that one, you know. He's, and in, he in, respects a good opponent. Yeah, and I think in that in that scene, especially, and in that instance where he does slip up and 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 reveals who he is to to Kirk, um, that that's really the only way that that Kirk has to get him right is is to 
um, sort of feed on his ego yeah. and get him to reveal who he is. I mean, he, you know, Khan does all the work himself. Yeah, well, that's his... It, it, it's the typical flaw. It's hubris. That's, yeah. that's what... You know, Khan may be perfect in any way, but Khan knows he's perfect. And that's where his weakness is. It's, 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 it's interesting how they play on that. Well, it picks up, I, I think, as well on something that you, you said when we were talking about Return of the Archons and something that we've talked about in previous episodes um, of Trek about is that, yeah, the, the, the show sort of sets it up as power is inherently a, like a bad thing and you have to have checks on it all the time and creating your own reality in your own world where you have sole dominion over over things is yeah. is really bad um and there's there's this one line that spock says where uh he, he says something about the danger of personal ambition and mm. i think you know it probably wasn't intended but it works really nicely as a way to explain why the society of the Federation is the way it is. Uh, because if they did have this like horrible war oh, yeah. with supermen who were created using eugenics. Um, <laughs> eugenics again. Right. Again, eugenics. That was a big thing in the 60s. And, and that was kind of, you know, the 40s with the Nazis and everything and like the that. the show is definitely against eugenics. Right. And, you know, you're looking at a show that was made only 20 years after the end of World War II. Yeah. So, of course, it would have still been, you know, pretty, you know, pretty uh, uh, on the minds of all these people writing these episodes and watching it. Yeah. Khan is kind of Hitler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, Khan is Hitler. They call him Napoleon. But, you know, in effect, it's yeah. pretty much the same thing. Um, Napoleon, you know, perhaps wasn't as... Uh, insane as Hitler, but he also did not have, you know, mid 20th century military technology. Yeah. So who knows what he would have done. Um, that, that, that line is really important, I think, in maybe explaining, uh, the impetus behind a lot of, um, the, the Federation's actions, you know, they want to encourage personal ambition, to a to a within degree, a, yeah, in a structure, yeah, within a structure and within reason, and they don't want to give any one person too much power. And not only that, they don't want to create a society where any one person can capture that much power in any way. Yeah, there's always this idea in Star Trek that um, admirals don't do anything, and you know this episode sort of made me think. Maybe there's a reason why admirals in Starfleet don't do anything. Hmm. Once you get to a certain point of talent and ambition, they promote you upstairs, basically. So you can't get any, you know, big ideas, yeah. basically. Hmm. I don't know if that, you know, I, I don't know. It just seems like an interesting read to me. You know, I and I wonder how much of that was intended, and you know, of course, I doubt a lot of it was, but that is an interesting angle to think about. It. Yeah, yeah. And I'm surprised that the backstory of Earth is that dark. Well, it's interesting, right? Because this, I think that there's two things there. This, this number one, it picks up on something that we uh, we meant first mentioned uh, last week in tomorrow was yesterday. Because there's that that uh, you know which tomorrow's yesterday took place in the mid the mid 60s, and there's a scene where they capture Kirk and they say they're going to lock him up for 200 years, and Kirk says. Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah. The implication being that, you know, okay, Star Trek is taking place in the mid-22nd century. Yeah. Uh, which it turns out is not the case. It's actually taking place in the mid-23rd century, which is established later. Okay. But, you know, two episodes later in Space Seed, um, when they discover yeah. that the SS Botany Bay wa- was launched in the mid-1990s, 
and they say, oh, you've been asleep for 200 years, again, you have that, like, establishment that this show is taking place in the mid to late 22nd yeah, century. it's 2200-ish. Yeah. I don't know why they changed that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've never read anything to, to uh, the effect of, of that or any explanation of yeah. it whatsoever. Um, I think it's interesting, though. See, it's funny because, you know, yeah, the, the, I, mean, I mean, changing tax a bit, I wonder how – because this history doesn't seem that distant, uh, and yet somehow at times it does feel very distant to them. So I, I guess how to explain it is they have this guy on their ship, and they know his name is Khan, and they're reasonably sure he's a superhuman, and – that's as far as they can go with it. Like, this is the one instance where Wikipedia would have actually been useful, <laughs> you know? But, what, I mean, what I think it's funny, like, if you found a guy walking around with a funny mustache, he says, my name is Adolf, you know, but I'm not going to tell you my last name. You think, oh, well, you're fucking Adolf Hitler. Like, I've seen a picture of you, you know? When they finally find Khan, you know, they're all, you know, they say, well, he, you know, he controlled a quarter of the globe, you know? And, you know, McCoy says, you know, I almost admired him. And they're like, yeah, you know, he, he you know... So they all are familiar with him, even if, if if he's not the first thing on their minds anything. None of them would think, well, this guy looks a lot like Khan. Well, I think, I think there's a couple things there, right? I think number one is that, you know, in the, in the episode, it's established that this took place 200 years ago. So, okay, it's 200 years, it's 250 years, whatever it is. It's a long fucking time ago. Um, and I can kind of see, we all know what Hitler looks like, right? But we all know what Hitler looks like because yeah. it, you know, I, we went to school um, and we learned about this stuff when it happened 40 to 50 years yeah, in the yeah. past. When Hitler is 200, 250 years in the past, yes, people, you know, in college are still going to study it. Um, but maybe they won't study it to the degree that we do now. And maybe they won't know what Hitler looks like. I mean, and also fair. Uh, you know, the side point is that Hitler was very specific about getting a lot of pictures of himself out there. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, the implication in the episode is that they found the picture of Khan. Like, they don't yeah. ever come out and say it, but it's like, this is what he appeared as okay, in the mid-1990s. So, that might have been the only one that ever even survived. And they okay. do make a point of saying that, like, the records are spotty from that time period. And the historian uh, character says, MacGyver's, I believe her name is. Yes. Um, makes a point of saying that she would love to talk to them because, you know, the records are very spotty and yeah, they don't yeah, have yeah. a lot of information about that time period. Um, which, you know, makes sense because if there was this, like, global yeah, <laughs> world true. war that, you know, uh, 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 the entire planet, you know, one-fourth of the planet was entirely decimated, uh, yeah, it, may, it makes sense. It, you know, newspapers don't really survive, you know, nuclear weapons. Yeah, so. true. Again, it, it would be very... It would be really interesting for them to put a Star Trek series set in that time, in the in the, during the eugenics wars. Yeah, yeah, um, that or like right the backs or the, the beginnings of the eugenics or something dealing with that. That would be really interesting. Yeah, because... yeah, it's um it it's something that is sort of ignored in most of of uh, the Star Trek franchise. Okay, um, like. It's interesting because Spock in this episode says, World War Three, your eugenics wars. Later on, it's established that World War Three and the eugenics wars are two separate things. Okay. Which is kind of like a, a, a retcon. Everyone knows that, yeah, that yeah, term. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I like the... 
I mean, there's really no other way to put it. It's ballsy to say, oh, you know what? In 30 years, World War III is going to happen. Like, that's really kind of weird to do. Like, why, why set it in the 1990s? Cause that's, that's, that's far enough away for someone watching it in its original airing to go, oh, that's in the future. But, but it's not really that far. And here's also the other thing. If something, so if Khan's in the 90s, he had to have been born in the 60s. Yeah, that's true. Cause, I mean, he appears to be late 30s, early 40s. So yeah, about the 50s or 60s were when these experiments would logically have taken place. For him, I, yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's very, yeah, that's a good yeah, point. He, if, if he's not born contemporary, he's in a year or so. So, I don't know. I, I wonder what that gives us some very disturbing shadings because that that kind of is saying, you know what this this world war that happened in this on this TV show in in the nineteen nineties, yeah. those people were being born now, yeah, and you know it's like whoa, oh maybe we're doing stuff now that yeah. we're not going to be proud of in the future. What were the I I don't know what the scientific climate was at that point. I mean I know everybody was worried about especially in America we were all getting to the moon and that's where concentration was. But were there um any programs like that for eugenics or had we moved on from that? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, there was the... Um, when were the Tuskegee uh, experiments? Not too far removed from that, within 20, 30 years. I, I want to yeah. say 30s. But. I mean, you had you had that, you had your atomic atomic weapon tests that were happening in the 60s. I guess it was a, just a general, you know, we must make sure that science is responsible. Exactly. I think that's that's the takeaway of this whole episode, right? Is that we have to make sure science is responsible. Yeah. Like... Yes, science is an unqualified um, science is an unqualified success. But science is neither good nor bad. Science is, and yeah, science is a, science is a tool. It's a way of understanding the the, the reality. Um, but we have to make sure that we use we have to use what comes out of science for for good ends. Yeah, and I think the show. What I think is interesting about the show is it doesn't believe that the ends justify the means. Um, because they, you know they're all saying like oh, you know con- you know under. Khan's rule, there wasn't war. There wasn't, you know, uh, you know, the people were doing okay, but at the same time, they say, yeah, but what they did to get to that was too dear of a price. Yeah, yeah. And in any, again, that goes with the, uh, you know, you can't create your own world. You know, these things need to be arrived at naturally. Yeah, you you can't force it. You can't force it. And I, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's kind of you know, one of the lessons of the episode. Um, on a smaller level, I think it's interesting because um, the character of MacGyver's, I think, is really well-constructed. Really? Uh, yeah, I do. And I'll tell oh, you why. Okay. Because she's set up. You don't know who she is. She really doesn't have much of a personality. Um, but she's just there for Khan to use. And abusers do that I was about to they say, latch yeah. on to people that have this like need inside of them and they don't fill it but they use it and well, that's exactly what Khan does there is it's very textbook you know where he's enthralling her and then there's that great scene where you know and it's ricardo Montalban hamming the fuck up but he's like you know you know say no leave me no stay or go i can choose <laughs> Do what you want, yeah. but do it because you wish it or something like <laughs> I that. I know. Like that scene, I'm just like, oh, God, how many people have had that scene in their life? And and at the, the end of that scene, of course, don't forget, is that yeah. he literally makes her kneel in front of him. Yeah. 
and she's terrified and she's crying and she knows that this is the wrong thing to do, but she just needs him that much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then later on, of course, you know, she does save the day, quote unquote, um, by going down and saving Kirk. Um, and then, of course, they're leading Spock down to this chamber and they're going to put him in the chamber yeah. and kill him. She rescues Kirk and they save the day. But there's no there's no implication there and there's no understanding that what she's done is a good thing and in any way makes up for what she did in in allowing the situation to happen yeah. in the first place. Well, that's why she's part of Khan's quote-unquote punishment at the end, which – it's very interesting what they do with Khan at the end because they – I think their admiration for, you know, Khan's ideals at least is still there and very much plays part in it because they basically say, okay, we're going to give you a planet that's going to suck. And if you're really as good as you say you are, you're going to make it not suck. And, you know, I think Khan accepts it because he thinks it's a much more interesting challenge in a way. Yeah, it's kind of like they're saying, okay, you think you're so great, prove it. Yeah, and he basically like, says, all right, yeah, I guess it would be a, a little too easy for Khan to take a planet with a sh- starship. And that that might be kind of disturbing, actually, right? Because that, that, that may indicate that one of the values that, that the Federation places really highly is, is testability. And yeah, you know, maybe you're right. Even though you're a horrible person who is abusing people, using force, you know, torturing people, um, you know, your your ego is off the charts. You think you're better than us because you're stronger than us. You think you're better than us because you're smarter than us. Um, yes, you can outwit us any day of the week. You can outfight us any day of the week. Uh, but there's more of us than there are of you. Yeah. But let's put you in a situation where the numbers don't matter. And let's test your theory. Let's yeah. see if you really are as good as you think you are. And that's actually really dangerous. Oh, yeah, because if Khan does as well as he thinks he will, then he'll build his own starship eventually. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, the implication at the end of the episode is that they kind of think that he will succeed because McCoy even says, wouldn't it be interesting to go back there in 100 years and, and see what happened? At the same time, I almost wonder if they think that That'll improve him. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if he's on this planet where he has number one, this woman who is going to, who is of the Federation, no matter what, and will, uh, kind of, they hope exert an influence, and you know, they're working hard. You know, taking over Earth, which has all of this technology, is really easy to do. And unfettered, unrestrained power that has no discipline. I think they're kind of putting him on here to teach him discipline. Yeah, kind of like, kind of like he's a puppy. Yeah, You know, they're slapping his nose and they're saying, you know what? No, you can't do that right now. But, you know, maybe when you grow up a little bit. Yeah. You, you can, you can, you, we allow you to do things. Yeah. We're going to give a thing. If you destroy yourself, we're not going to notice, you know, and if you succeed, you know, maybe you will come up with a world that's perfect. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Maybe. And, hey, if the world is perfect enough, you won't need to conquer people to get there, you know? <laughs> I you know I think one of the you know the, the one of the things about the end of the episode that I think uh, is kind of interesting as well is and this is a small point but um, wouldn't there be like groups of people on Earth that were really interested in putting Khan on trial? Oh, because the implication is that um, 
you know, they, they, they defeated all these supermen, right? And there were like 80 of them on the loose that they never found. And those 80, around 80, 80 plus yeah. were on the ship that they found Khan. So basically they have all of the remaining dictators that basically destroyed the entire society of earth yeah. 200 years ago. Um, wouldn't they want to put them all on trial? Like, I just kind of feel like that's kind of a failing of the episode. Like Kirk is unilaterally making this decision that it, it would never have been made unilaterally. Like it, he just would not have done yeah. it. And I can see how that's not a, like dramatically satisfying ending and i can see why they made the ending the way they did but just on a, like a, a pure logic level it doesn't make a whole lot of sense no i know um i mean the implication is that kirk has this power to drop all charges and decide what you know you know that's all given because i, I assume it's happening on a ship it's his world and, yeah you know, exactly whatever um See, I don't know, because on the one hand, yeah, I agree with that. On the other hand, this was so far into their past that and society has moved so far on from this that maybe what's the point is kind of part of the implication. Like, Okay, maybe not, you know, maybe what's the point, but you know, let's there's, not no, open there's, no, wounds. there's no statue of limitations for murder. Yeah, that being said, they want, the show accepts redemption. Yeah, yeah. And they're giving him a chance for redemption, and he's... I mean, I think by Khan taking it so excitedly at the end, that's kind of him looking for that. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. What I liked about this episode is there's a couple of really awesome character moments uh, where characters show just a lot more bravery than they normally get a chance to. McCoy at the beginning, again, he goes into... You know, Khan's room to check on him. Suddenly Khan grabs his throat and holds a knife to him. And the first thing McCoy says is, look, pick one. You know, are you going to stab me? You're going to strangle me. Just do it. Okay. If you want to, you know, stab me, you know, here's the artery. That's going to make it easiest, quickest, most efficient. You know, I'm your doctor. You know, (laughs) you know, and he is just, you know, McCoy is not flinching. He knows that he, and he's calling this guy's bluff. And you can tell that Khan respects him. Yeah, because he knows that, you know, okay, this guy isn't flinching, you know. And I think that's part of, I will say that's part of why Khan doesn't, uh, ends up biding his time. Because you realize, okay, these people are a lot better trained than I expected them to be. You know, yeah. if, if the doctor is this tough, you know, imagine the captain. You right, know? right. Um, And then later, Yahura has this really awesome moment because... Uh, they're all in, you know, Khan's taken over and he says, you know, put up the screen and she doesn't move. She has to have somebody physically drag her to the console and she still doesn't move. He hits her. She doesn't move. He goes to strike her again. She is ready to take that blow. She's just not moving. Yeah. yeah. You don't get to see Yahura be that tough usually, but she's just saying, no, this is, you know, you're not, you kidnapped my captain. You're taking over the ship. I'm not helping you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, that those two moments, I think go, those are, those are two of the toughest moments for our characters. Yeah. I think is so far we've seen, and they really do a good job of framing just how well-trained and how stubborn and how like tough and just take no prisoners they are really. And I think that's actually a big part of why MacGyver's decides to end up, you know, going back, 
you know, onto Kirk's side because, you know, she sees Yahura being just tough as nails. And, you know, the, one of the implications throughout the episode is that this is, you know, MacGyver's is new. Kirk doesn't even really remember her name. Uh, he's giving her some basic notes, you know, saying, like, you need to be professional on a mission. You need to not lose focus, which is the 101 stuff. Absolutely. So I think this is the moment when you see MacGyver's leveling up. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think you're right. And I think um, MacGyver's is definitely set up as a character that is weak, a character that doesn't really have a place on the ship. Um, someone who doesn't really know who she is. She has a sort of like longing inside of her that she doesn't know how to fill. And she's not Starfleet material. And this might be the first episode where we realize that there is a such, such a thing as Starfleet material. Yeah. But at the same time, she willingly goes to this uh, hard planet. And because she knows that, you know, and she basically says, as long as he's there, you know, I'll figure it out. You know, I'll deal with it. And, you know, and Khan is very impressed by the saying, oh, that's a tough woman. You know, that's a good, you know, and, you know, the implication is that they are going to have an actual relationship now and that he's going to, you know, she'll supply the compassion that he lacks and he'll give her the strength and all of that stuff. Right. Um, again, this is the 60s. Gender politics are ticks are hugely in flux at this time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I thought there were a lot of hilarious moments. Like, you know, they were really optimistic about the neighbor jacket, weren't they? Yeah. They thought that would last a little longer than it did. And I also love the scene when he first, uh, when Khan first goes into, you know, MacGyver's cabin. And he's like, your hairstyle is unflattering. I'm going to change it. And he, like, loosens, like, two curls. And, like, it's totally different. Yeah, I thought he was <laughs> and gonna, it looks like, even worse somehow. I thought he was going to completely let her hair down. That's what I figured. Like, you know, he'll take it down and, you know, she'll see her, you know, like. And later, you know, she does, you know style of hair that way but he does not he just gets bored with it <laughs> i mean let's say Khan's hair is no great shakes yeah i'd say i thought Khan was hotter in the movie well i mean you know it was ricardo montalban 20 years later so yeah with a still amazing body yeah that i, yeah. I mean good good on you montalban kudos to that man for, mm. for being able to pull that off when he was in his mid-50s Actually, I'm not even sure how old he was then. Maybe 60s. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, it's also nice to see that, you know, Shatner and Montalban actually interact in this episode because they don't direct. They aren't in con if, you know, they're not actually in the same room together ever. No, correct? no, they're not. Yeah, they are here. And it's I liked that because, again, the two of them are very uh, broad actors and they do really well together. Yeah, yeah. It would be interesting to um, hear... Uh, you know, your thoughts on uh, Space Seed and how it developed, especially when we talk about Wrath of Khan. Yes, you know, later I, on. I'm, again, watching this episode without knowing about the movie, you know, wh- having seen the movie, I know that Khan is one of, you know, their greatest enemies. If you would see this, you would think he's just any other monster of the week, really. Having seen the movie first makes the threat bigger for me. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's probably a good place to leave it. Yeah. So, uh, how many triples would you give this episode? Uh, this is an eight triple episode. Wow, eight. Yeah. I'd give it a ten. Really? I really like this episode. No, it's a really good episode. I almost wonder if I would have rated it higher had I not seen the movie first. Uh, yeah, maybe. I-, I can see that. Just because the movie is, the world's more developed, you have more of a, you know, all, there's, it's more. Hey, an eight is good. Let's oh, no, no, that. no, no. Eight's a great episode. And that leaves you room to more highly rate other episodes such as the corvamite maneuver there you go yeah all right so good um next week uh we're going to cover 
A Taste of Armageddon, and mm. This Side of Paradise. Taste of Armageddon sounds kind of delicious. That's a nice little uh, little tit for tat next week. Armageddon and Paradise. Maybe they're the same thing. Whoa. Whoa. Well, we can talk about that next week. All right. I'm, I'm excited for this. All right. So Let me join go us. home and watch it. See you next week. Bye.